Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Today, we're joined by the co-founders of skincare startup Ourself, which has received $30 million in funding to date for its clinical alternative products. We have Lauren Atsuki, who previously founded Elastin and Skin Medica, and Vimla Blackgupta, the former CMO of Equinox. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks for having us. We're delighted. So you both have long careers in the beauty industry. I thought we could start with your backgrounds and what led you to this brand. Vimla, let's start with you. Before you were at Equinox, you had marketing roles at Estee Lauder, P&G, and Bobby Brown. What first inspired you to get into beauty? You know, when I uh, was young, I used to traipse the aisles of drugstores um, longingly. I loved the packaging. I loved the way products smell. I loved the copy. I loved the advertising. And it was all just about possibility to me. Um, and I, and lust, quite frankly, it was just, you know, I, you know, the next new product that came out, I just couldn't wait to smell it, to touch it, to experience it. A, just the, the whole sensorial aspect of it, but then just this idea of, gosh, when I use this, something's going to happen to me. I will feel better. I will look better. I will, you know, smell better. Whatever it was just really delighted me. And when you're young and you're, you know, you don't have a job, you don't have anything, like any money I had to get stuff just made me feel so good. And when I grew up, I didn't know really what I love, what I didn't know that was product management. I didn't know that was marketing. I didn't know what um, CPG was or the beauty industry was really. And but it really was those formative years for me. And that's just idea of possibility that excited me. And then obviously, as I got older, and it wasn't actually till I was in, I got into graduate school that I realized that I could actually make money off of doing this. Um, and that it was this thing called marketing and brand management and that I could have a job that was really about focusing on the consumer and delivering against their desires. Um, and beauty has proved to be everything I ever thought it was. Um, and so I'm thrilled that I had those that experience in my formative years. And you went to Equinox and then you came back to beauty. What inspired you to come back? So, you know, I, a lot of people are like, why did you go to Equinox? You know, I was one of those freaks, you know, at work who always worked out early in the morning or at night. And I, for me, wellness and beauty was just this long continuum. And it's been that way for my entire existence. And I felt like during my years while I was at Lauder, increasingly sort of wellness started to become part of that beauty conversation. And so after having been in beauty for a long time, and then then starting to see the meteoric rise of wellness, and then to sort of see the combination of wellness and beauty coming together, particularly at places like Equinox, among many other studios, I really wanted to be a part of that because that wellness beauty intersection is as much about product as it is about experience. And so the opportunity to be able to do that, you know, with sort of a, a, a brand, you know, like Equinox really excited me, um, not to mention, you know, Equinox wasn't just uh, you know, in a luxury fitness uh, place, but it was also a hotel. And it was just about sort of people coming together, you know, for that same idea of just advancing themselves holistically. And Lauren, you come from the biotech space and are a biochemist. What first got you into the beauty industry? <laughs> well, the doctor's office um, products that we um, made when we were at um, Alaskan gave us a little bit of an insight into um, even even as um, you know as recently as 
five to 10 years ago, people were still, um, you know, using ingredients that sort of came off the shelf. Uh, there was really no one addressing the delivery system uh, needs in this sector. And both Scott Glenn and I saw a real opportunity where we could take some of the things that we learned, you know, used all the time in drug development and and layer them on top of um, some beauty products. And we saw there were several different areas where there were needs, where we could, you know, um, take our technology and our experience and make an, a very um, interesting and provocative and disruptive product line. Yeah. And let's get into the story of ourselves. Like, what was the first moment of inspiration for coming up with the brand? It really came from the technology, um, right? So, you know, building on what Lauren said, you know, Lauren and Scott have had a history of fundamentally changing consumers' lives and using science as that tool. And the opportunity they saw, you know, coming out of Elastin Skin Medica, where they saw the droves of women and men coming in to sort of make visible changes in their appearance, really, quite frankly, just, you know, at, at very extreme measures, right? You know, lasers and needles, and it was really that moment they thought, gosh, where can we once again use science as a tool to actually change this and to make a better consumer experience? And so, you know, through their, you know, incredible, you know, scientific prowess and coming from that drug development world, really understanding how to get to the target um, and actually make a difference, which is very, very different from, you know, the, the way products are made in the beauty space. They were able to arrive at a technology that could that could do that. But a technology is only technology um, if it doesn't sort of have a brand and a consumer promise to go with it. So when I joined the team, it was really about sort of, you know, taking that insight about sort of what is it that we're trying to do? We're not just trying to make products to make people look and feel better, but we really were on a mission and we're on a mission to make a true difference in consumers' lives that was that was meaningful. Um, and um, you know, it was really sort of born out of that sort of every day, you know, we see people going to extreme measures, they're doing that to get to become a better version of themselves. Um, and then until now, you know, it was only these procedures that were the, the only viable option for consumers. And so what our self was, was this groundbreaking alternative to needles and lasers. Um, but really, the consumer insight was born out of the fact that until now, you only had two options, you had topical skincare and invasive technologies. And to get a real visible difference, most people go towards these technologies and these invasive technologies on the journey to look like a better version of themselves. But the reality is, oftentimes they come out of the other end not looking like a better version of themselves. They just look like someone else. And so they have this third person in their relationship um, that's actually further distancing themselves from the person they would like to see in the mirror. And so our self was really, and that idea of our self was about looking like yourself, because when did that actually stop being okay? Um, the second meaning of our self is that you actually do it yourself, because what our technology offers for the first time ever is to be able to get these visible results that are self-administered from the comfort of your home. It's easy to use, and you actually get visible results. Yeah, that's so interesting. We've seen so much talk and backlash to this concept of Instagram face and people completely changing the whole shape of their face with fillers and kind of having this uniform look among the influencers on Instagram. Are you kind of responding to that or do you tap into any of that with this kind of branding? 
You know, people do what they, they want to do. And certainly Instagram has um, democratized, right? Sort of the aesthetic field and these things that you can do. It's also put them on show. Um, and it's really sort of introduced many consumers sort of what this life of looking differently looks like, which is all good. And if that is for you, that that's all fine. What we want, you know, you could argue, yeah, we are a backlash to that and that we just want to be another alternative, right? At the end of the day, we're a brand that believes in you doing you, whatever makes you feel like your best self. That's the most important thing. And that measure is up to you. What we just want to do is provide an alternative, right? And for that person that's getting these, these, you know, going through these procedures, we want to be there for you. And if you're not, we want to be there for you. Or if you're on the precipice of it or thinking about it, we just actually want to be an option. But we, most importantly, we want to be an option that works. We are not the first brand that's saying we're an alternative to these treatments, that we're better than the shit. We are not the first ones to do it. What we are is the first ones that actually deliver the results. And that's most important to us. Yeah. So tell us more about the products and um, what you mean when you talk about alternatives. You market them as alternatives to injectables. You can go on the website and see the exact procedures that they can be alternatives to injectables, clinical peels, and lasers. What are you telling people to expect from these? Are you telling them that they'll get the exact results that they would from fillers, for example, or what do you say? At the end of the day, what we are promising is the best version of yourself, like the you you love the most, right? It's about first and foremost, recognizing yourself. And recognizing yourself oftentimes is seeing more fullness in your, you know, fullness in your skin, right? Less sagging, brighter, more even skin tone, um, you know, volume where you once didn't have it. But it's not about getting someone else's volume or sort of fake volume. It's about getting what was originally yours. So that is what we're promising. And that alternative is multi-layers. It's an alternative in that you don't have to go into a doctor's office. You're doing it yourself. And the alternative is actually you get to actually look like yourself. So there's there's compl- there's you know multi layers to our benefit and and what alternative means. And Lauren, I'll let you add on to that. Yeah, you, thanks, Femla. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about the most common um, non-invasive or minimally invasive procedures on those are the fillers and the toxins. Both the fillers and the toxins um, are put underneath the skin. Um, so they kind of balloon up in the areas where maybe you're losing fat pads or they're going down lower in the muscle. But the one thing they never do is they never work on the skin, which is the thing that everyone sees. It's like it's 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 like the um, the tablecloth on top of the table. It's the direct, and if you don't if you don't um, make that healthy, firm it up, hydrate it and do all of the things that our products do, even if you um, add volume by putting fillers in or or um, doing things with um, toxins, um, you aren't gonna address the overlaying skin. And that's part of the um, rejuvenation, you know, anti-aging process. And it also keeps the younger people who haven't yet had lines and wrinkles form, it keeps their skin nice and firm and, um, and, and, and tight because 
I don't know if you realize this, but after the age of about 20, things like the hyaluronic acid in your skin, the collagen and elastin, they all start on the down slope. And so almost everyone who is an adult has reason to utilize these products um, to prevent, you know, aging from happening more quickly than it might and or um, getting back a few of those years, turning the clock back a little bit. And there's a lot of talk these days in the industry about what hyaluronic acid does as a topical, right? Because as an injectable, you know exactly what it does. There's a lot of discussion about what kind of effect it can have when you're putting it on the surface. You have a term called subtopical with your brand. Did you want to talk more about that and this kind of conversation that's going on in the industry? Sure, sure. Everyone is very familiar with um, many hyaluronic acid products. They they tend to be sort of clear, slightly thicker than water, um, and they do sit on top of your skin. And they offer um, surface level moisturization, which is which is great. But the area that you actually want to affect is is below in the active layers of your skin. And what we do is um, hyaluronic acid is structural and it also, so it provides structure and it also holds a lot of water and therefore imparts a lot of moisture to your skin. And what we do is hydrate it and then we encapsulate it in our subtopical delivery system. And then it literally is allowed to penetrate um, and um, get into your skin in the lower layers where, where your body should be making and storing hyaluronic acid. And that's what we're um, replenishing. So our um, approach is, is to deal with it where it's going to do the most good inside your skin rather than on top. So you've received 30 million in funding so far, which is an amazing amount. Did you guys want to talk about the fundraising process and what that was like and the pitching and what you're using that funding primarily for? Okay, well, early on, we did what we call seed financing. So this is very early on. I'm a seed financer of this company. And we, you know, we have ideas, we have things that we think are going to turn into products, we need a little bit of money, half a million or so to, to, um, to do some testing to develop some peptides and that sort of thing. And we raise that money usually internally. Um, and then when we when we have um, a, mu a much better idea of what our products going to be like. We go out and we raise our first, we raised our first venture round that was about um, $7 million. And um, those are with um, uh, VCs as well as um, there are a lot of wealthy individuals in the San Diego area who invested in our company. Um, pitching is, um, at that point in time, when we were pitching Series A, we didn't have a brand yet. We were, we were really pitching our big idea. And, you know, what the impact of our science and our approach was going to be on this industry. Um, once we raised that money, we were then able to um, take all of that and utilize utilize it to finish product development and also bring on people like Vemla who could then uh, create the brand, do a lot of the commercial things. And then I'll, I'll kind of let her take over as she explains kind of what we did, what we did there and how that came about. 
Yeah. So when I came on, you know, we still, we had a technology. We didn't necessarily have all of the products. We knew we had the technology, but we didn't necessarily know what the actual products would be, what they would look like, the packaging, everything, um, and, and clinical validation, everything. We also didn't know what the brand was. And, you know, to launch a new brand, as you know, is not an easy feat, right? It's really about how you really think about, you know, obviously the competitive landscape, but we are just not launching another brand in skincare. We are actually creating a new platform and sort of this third state. So the onus on was on me and the team to really think about what could be. So a lot of that investment was put into sort of how do we really create this brand and this promise and then thinking through sort of the commercialization of that. Um, and the commercialization of that was very much a part of just getting the packaging together and the products and the go-to-market and, um, you know, how we, you know, how are we going to get consumers behind it immediately to start experiencing the products and and, and speaking the gospel. So uh, I would say that was sort of the the next big phase of our of our fundraising efforts. And you're stocked at luxury beauty retailers like Violet Gray and Blue Mercury. Lauren, with Skin Medica and Elastin, the distribution was heavily focused on doctors' offices. Did you want to tell us why you chose the retail route this time? Yeah, you know, um, we saw the opportunity more with products that would reach directly to the consumer than the ones that would go through the doctor's office. And that's why um, you know, we thought um, a, a bigger disruptor in that, in that segment, um, the ability, because we're from the biotech side, we knew we would be able to create any new ingredients that we would need for these products, as well as um, how to deliver them. So the excitement for us was in reaching directly to the consumer. And that's why, you know, obviously, we know a lot about the science and how to make products, but nothing about how to commercialize. And we absolutely needed a as our partner to do all of this because it was, you know, a a a big um, a big leap. I think um, you know one of the other things that you see strictly from the investment side is we are a bit of a unicorn in that we 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 are probably the first business model in this sector that is investing in product development and research. And um, and clinical validation, and we have a very strong patent portfolio. These are all things that come along with our biotech background, and that's combined with um, all of the commercialization and everything that that um, the beauty folks on our team know how to do. So we're a little bit different than most beauty brands, and definitely different than a biotech. Um, company. So that's been a little bit of a challenge for us, but also it's it's what excites everyone who works for, for our company. And I would also just add on to what Lauren said is since the time of Elastin Skincare, I'd say the consumer overall has gotten a PhD, right? The consumers are so smart. They're so savvy and they, you know, oftentimes know more than we do just about what's the latest and greatest and their expectation now in these retailers is for them to provide it. And obviously the retailers want to be at the forefront of being, you know, if if science is back, I would argue it never went away. Science is the new science. Clinical is back. You know, if if you're a retailer and you know how savvy and smart consumers are, you want to make sure that you are providing, you know, what what they want. And the other thing I would add is in addition to retail, we are in, um, uh, in modern day spas. So I don't know if you know Everbody, it's 
fabulous modern spa that is um, open in New York as well as DC. They were the perfect partner for us because they also understand sort of the modernization of sort of that, you know, that dermatology meets spa experience. They want to make sure that they're providing both, but they also have a retail part of what they do that is sort of like a mini Sephora of like their curated list of like the latest and greatest that either you can use on your own or use in tandem with their treatments. So, um, you know, I would say the whole industry has evolved quite a bit. And Fimla, what does this luxury retail model mean for the branding? Because on the one hand, you have this very clinical aspect to it, but then coming from Estee Lauder and the luxury beauty retail world, what did you consider when coming up with the brand identity? Yeah, you know, we wanted to be be none of that, right? We wanted to sort of, you know, inherent in our brand is just some some pretty heavy tensions, right? There's the tension of hardcore, new to the world technology that literally does not come from our industry, comes from the drug industry, right? Hard, hardcore. But on the other side, there is an empathy of literally wanting to be your best self that is just so um, kind, understanding, democratic, and just an invitation to, you know, just this new way of looking and living. So those are really two hard things to put together. But what I found in my career is that the more tension you have in a brand, the more than you're able to create something that's truly differentiated because it's not easy, right? One conflicts with the other, but you know, when you rub them together and you start to really, you know, think pretty critically through what those two things mean, you end up coming up with something that hopefully doesn't look like anything else. And what we are being told by everyone is it doesn't look like everything else. Everyone's like, why isn't it green? Why isn't it red? Why isn't it blue? You know, we were like, you know, we are, are like this like gunmetal technology that because that's what we want to be about. But we've got this beautiful sort of eggshell, you know, beautiful font that is also tender and soft. Right. And so believe me, I love talking about it now because it seems like it was so easy. But during it, you're like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I'm putting eggshell and gunmetal like are we create you know but at the time it was just through that exploration of seeing so many different things that looked quite beautiful and familiar but then it just sort of did not um it did not really represent what we were trying to do yeah was there a lot of consideration on how chic to go versus how clinical Oh, absolutely. I mean, all the things, right? You can imagine. You know, what we did know is we wanted a brand that people could pronounce. We didn't want it to just have numbers and rando letters. Um, you know, so that was important. Um, like a generic drug name. <laughs> right. Um, so that was really important to us. Um, and But we did. Like, if you listen, don't get me wrong. This is still luxury. These are luxury price points. You want it to be beautiful. And the other thing that was a big consideration for us is that we want women as well as men or who, whatever you, whatever your identity is, we want you to be, feel like this is special, that you're proud to have it on, you know, you have it on your counter, you love to have it in your travel bag. Um, and that was really important to us. It's important to us, A, just from a consumer standpoint, like the more you love to see something, the more you'll take it out of your cabinet and use it. But then also we want you to photograph it. We want the influencers to say, oh my God, look at this beautiful thing that I carry in my bag. Or um, it's, you know, it's your special treat. Every time I pull out my lip filler from my handbag at dinner, you know, everyone's like, what is that? You know, I feel special. You want other people to see it. So um, that was absolutely a consideration. 
So tell me about your typical customer, because you mentioned earlier that you're looking for people who might be considering doing these procedures and are at all different points in their decision process. So if there's someone shopping at Violet Gray for products at this price point, are you looking for someone who could afford the fillers but doesn't want them? Or are you looking for more of a price conscious person? Or what are you thinking in terms of who's buying this? So I would say there's three primary consumers. The first primary consumer is they're just someone that's looking, they're looking for something more, right? They're, they're, they're recognizing the aging in their lips, um, whether that manifests itself in dull color, wrinkles, thinner lips, they have constant asymmetry, or they just, they're going out for a night and they, you know, lips are the new accessory. They just want to have fun lips, right? Um, so they're looking for something that's going to provide that. And, um, you know, that violet gray customer, you know, they, 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 they go there because they know that they're going to get the newest, the latest and greatest, and they tend to be less price sensitive, I would say in general, but you know, those customers that go there are either already using lip, they've gotten injections or they have an injection, um, and they're just looking for more, right? They want that extra pump. But more often than not, it's that person that knows about injections, is thinking about it, considering it, but it's not doing it for sundry reasons. That could be price, inconvenience, fear, fear of needles. Um, and in a lot of ways, we can be that gateway drug. And beyond a gateway drug to getting there, we could also just be a nice alternative. Like we could be like, oh, I never have to do it because I'm just getting enough. I'm one of those people, right? I, um, I like my lips, but I like them when they're a little bit more pumped up, but I still want to look like me. Um, so this product is perfect for me. I'm not getting Kylie's lips. I'm getting Vimla's lips, maybe Vimla's lips when she was 20. Um, but it's really more about being me. And, you know, I want that. I always learn here's this from me all the time. You want that look when you look in the mirror, you're like, I look pretty today. I look a little prettier. You know, like when you notice, you're like, hey, I, I see myself. Um, so more more often than not, that's our primary consumer. But along the way, we are definitely getting that person that can afford and is doing injections regularly that just wants an extra pump. And do you follow trends in procedures? For example, we're kind of in this lip filler moment where it might not be totally Kylie era. You see some celebrities like Kylie getting their lip fillers dissolved, but we're definitely still in the lip filler moment. We've had this big moment on TikTok where everyone was talking about the buckle fat removal, if I'm even pronouncing that right. How much do you look at these kind of procedure trends when you're developing products? I mean, I would all the time, right? A, because we, you know, we, we, we need to be in the know. We, I actually love <laughs> learning about what consumers are doing. And, and primarily we want to look at it because we want to see if we can provide an alternative to it, right? Because oftentimes these new things are in, quite invasive. They're super expensive and they don't necessarily confer the results that you see, you know, in social media. So to the extent that we can like be a viable alternative, we want to be on top of all of them. And so whether it's, yeah, you know, the lip, the, you know, what, what we love about our lip filler is that the control, you actually have the control, the control, it goes back to the user. So you can sort of titrate the results. Like if you want, use more to use more, use less to use less, put it in certain areas. I have really asymmetrical. That's my issue is big asymmetry in my lips. And, you know, so I tend to put more here. So this looks a little bit more, you know, 
So, um, so in answer to your question, we absolutely create trends so that we can make sure that we can have a viable alternative for consumer that, that will confer results. Lauren, what do you think? Do you follow the trends on TikTok for procedures? <laughs> you know, I, I would say that that my um, following of things is really from the more the professional side, the derms and the estheticians and the plastic surgeons, because I work with them all the time. So, you know, they tell me about the things they do in their office. They give us a lot of ideas as to how to use these products together with the things that they use in their office. And this is great for our entry into this modern spa market. So I'm, I'm, I'm not so big on the social media, but I stay plugged in on, on the other, the other end of it. That's why Vemla and I are such a great team. You know, we, we have different, different um, eyes on what's going on. And your parent company, Glow Pharma, actually has the former CEO of Allergan, which is the maker of Botox, on the board of directors. What does that kind of expertise lend to a brand like yours that's marketing itself as an alternative to these kinds of injectables? Incredible um, market insight. Um, and, you know, uh, he's continued to do a lot of work in this aesthetic space. So he has insight into, you know, what's going on in the modern spas and, and that sort of thing. So between um, Brent Saunders and um, Marla Beck and, um, and uh, Dana Kwambach, who are all industry experts, we have a very um, uh, distinguished board who helps out a lot um, on the commercial side as well as just sort of blocking and tackling. You know, and what I would also add is that, you know, someone like a Brent really keeps us mindful of the North Star, right? Like, you know, things like Botox, you know, they, you know, 90% awareness, probably have less than 10% penetration. Because at the end of the day, as much as like it gets destigmatized and it's on social media, the reality is at the end of the day is most consumers can't afford it and they're scared of needles, right? And so this idea of having an alternative is really real and important um, because that's the vast majority of the market. Um, and so we're just so excited to have his point of view on, um, A, just endorsing our technology because he thinks it's fantastic um, because it, it really does deliver results. And so, you know, we all see a huge opportunity. And what are the top skin concerns that you see from customers these days? You know, it's not, it's pretty standard, has not changed. It manifests itself in little tweaks. Like I think consumers are actually much more detailed because of because of um, the in the aesthetic world, but you know they're the three biggest. It's sagging skin, and that sagging skin that I you know sagging skin and volume loss that manifests itself in your lip, on your face, in your cheeks, on your neck, on your knees. Um, hyperpigmentation is huge, and again, that's all over. It's your face, it's your neck, décolleté, your hands, um, and lines and wrinkles. And those lines and wrinkles, as you know, are also everywhere: face, eyes you know, your nasal labial folds, you know, so there, it's interesting, the top three have never gone away, they've just gotten more nuanced in terms of their care. And there's much more attention about how those issues also manifest themselves across the rest of your body. And you talked about how Botox and injectables aren't 
super mainstream among the general population, but their use is definitely growing and there are more startups making it more mainstream. Does the increased use of these injectables benefit your brand or what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it absolutely does, right? I mean, I think as it increasingly becomes destigmatized, there's more transparency in pricing. There's, op- you know, it's opening up to a bigger age group, right? You know, the baby Botox, the preventative Botox, all of that is providing awareness that there are different ways to go about this and to address it. And to the extent that those, um, they're, they're increasing the awareness of the concern, there's different places to experience it, different retail to see, to have the services, but also experience companion products. For us, we just think that that just in, continues to increase our opportunity. So you've been on the market a year now, or almost a year since uh, February 2022. What are you looking at for distribution in the coming year? Do you expect to see most of it through retail or D2C or spas, or what are you planning on? So, you know, yes, yeah, we're still not a year old, which is insane. Uh, we're a month away from, almost a month away from our one-year anniversary. Um, so D2C is our bread and butter, right? That's, you know, wasn't a strategy, it was just a channel. So it was the way that we could really tell our message uniquely and really start to develop a relationship with the consumer and really understand what's working and what's not working. That is going to continue to be the behemoth, you know, sort of distribution for us, for sure. But retail increasingly is going to be important. Um, We are very mindful of meeting our consumers where we are. People go nuts for our lip filler. And whether you are over the age of 35 or under the age of 35, you want this lip filler, right? And so we want to make sure we're meeting the consumers where they are, wherever that luxury experience may manifest itself. So luxury across the board, um, whether it's neighborhood shops like a Blue Mercury or you know, big luxury retailers like a Nordstrom will be increasingly important to us, not to mention the number of other amazing retail outlets out there that, as you can imagine, um, that are catering to, you know, this, this emerging consumer, emerging younger consumer. Um, spas are right behind it, right? But it's not every spa, right? It's those modern spas that have a unique point of view on what treatment looks like, right? Because treatment is both services and product and how they work together and, um, uh, you know, and, and, and the different use cases for them. So I would say in that order, um, you know, it's always still our direct-to-consumer, but then retail and that spot. And are you doing any kind of influencer marketing? And how do you select influencers, especially in a field like this, where there's a lot of influencers that have lip filler or procedures, for example, would you filter those out and try to find ones that are more natural? Or how do you think about that? You know, across the board, because we have influencers that represent our consumers. So we certainly, you know, where we are using influencers that are like, I've never done lip injections, or I don't want to, or I don't have them right. I used to do them, and I don't have them right now. You have to be telling the truth, right? So whatever you're doing, you just have to sort of tell the truth about it, for sure. And we test for that, Um, you know, based on sort of who we're, we're talking to. We've certainly had people who have lip fillers that have, are using our product. They're like, I have lip fillers, and when I want to pump, I use this. Great. That's great for that market. Um, but when we are trying to be, you know, for someone like me who doesn't do any of that stuff, you know, it's important for me to see someone just like me who's 
not interested in that, no judgment, but just not interested in that, but that, oh, I want to, I want a proof point that this can be a really good viable alternative. So I'd say we go across the board, but for whatever, whoever we use, it's about transparency about where you are in your skin journey. And I want to hear from both of you, do you have predictions on where the trends are going with faces in general. We talked about Instagram face a little earlier. There's a lot of buzz on TikTok talking about how maybe the trends will move in a more natural looking direction, quote unquote natural. It's kind of like, what does that mean? So what what do you guys think? What are you seeing? You know, I really do think the big trend is freezing time, right? Time is the resource that we never get enough of. And I think that's the trend. And it's about how do you freeze time in a way that still looks like yourself, right? That to me, and that's that's hard to, how do, how do you do that? And, and to me, that's why that's our North Star because we think that that's never gonna go away. And that's always, because that is natural. That is um, fresh and it's beautiful and it's current and it's modern. Um, it, it's really about sort of what is that most youthful you? What, who is that person? How do you get back to that person you recognize? And that recognition is really important, right? Because it's still keeping some of the wrinkles. It's still keeping a little bit, you know, what are those things that make you you? But what are those truly discernible, visible improvements that give you that kick in your step where you look in that mirror and you like wink at yourself? You're like, I still got it, you know? That for us, we think is the most enduring and and biggest trend. So wrapping up, what are you guys looking at for year two? Are we going to see more products on the market, retail expansion, international expansion? What do you have planned? Yes, we do have a pretty full um, product um, pipeline. Um, our, our goal is to launch a new sort of big hero skew um, each year for the next couple of years going out, we had three big product launches this past year, but I think we're going to, we'll slow down a little bit. And we also have um, uh, support products that go with, with all of these um, product lines, as well as uh, regimen bundles and whatnot. So we're looking forward to maintaining um, our, our pipeline and adding to it in the next couple of years. Um, on the on the product side, yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, um, you know, the pro, you know, and with the product, you know, certainly more retail, and it's not about us just going everywhere, but it's, I really do mean, you know, we will meet the consumer where he or she is. They're above thirty five and they're below thirty five years old, and you know, we just want to meet them where they where they expect to find our product, and and we'll be delighted by it. Great. Well, thank you both for being here. This has been great to learn about the brand and we look forward to seeing what's in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.